Hello and welcome to another episode of For the Love of Sports. My name is Michael Raziel and my guest today is Andy Fry. He is a sports writer and contributor for Forbes. He also was a contributor for Rolling Stone, Market Watch, Chicago Tribune, and ESPN.com. And it's really interesting how Andy got into writing for sports. He had a 20-year career in business and in finance and eventually just started loving his job so much he just kept pursuing the writing opportunities that came to him and eventually made it all the way up to Forbes and it's been there for a little while now. So he's a really, really cool story and the the amount of people he's been able to interview, he's worked at the World Series, uh, just an all around really great dude. I'm very grateful I got to have him on the show. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode with Andy Fry. Today I have Andy Fry on For the Love of Sports. He is a writer and sports contributor for Forbes. Probably have heard of Forbes at some place or time in your life. He's also a contributor or former contributor for the Rolling Stone, Rolling Stone Magazine, Market Watch, Chicago Tribune, and ESPN.com. Andy, thanks for hanging out with me today, man. Thanks for having me on. The pleasure is all mine. You've introduced my favorite thing I get to do is interview people. Um, and you've done that to a lot of way cooler people. I've talk to some pretty cool people and now you can add you to the list um but definitely excited to talk a little bit about that and so i know i definitely want to jump into your career and how you got in and everything but the first question i have for everybody is why do you love sports so much you know it's weird i so i have to kind of admit i i get asked all the time in like august september by friends who should i pick for my fantasy team who you know who should be my quarterback i think because i write about sports everybody assumes that I'm an expert on everything. And there are those sports fans, and I'm not that. Um, I guess it kind of speaks to how I write and who I write for and, and the style that I write. Is I always have this fetish of I love to read sports articles in non-sports publications. So stuff like the New York Times Saturday edition, um, where they're not really particular. This has gone back in the, in the late 80s, you know, when they weren't necessarily reporting on um, – I wasn't necessarily reading the, 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 the recaps of last night's game. Philadelphia Inquirer, I grew up outside Philadelphia. I remember one day, you probably remember the, the, the images of this when Charles Barkley got in a scuffle with Bill Lane Beer. And I remember on the front, I mean, it must have been the front of the sports page, you see the, the Charles Barkley from behind, you know, see his, his number and his name on the back of the jersey, and his fist forward, basically going straight into Bill Lane Beer's collapsing face. And I remember the article was more about, you know, the, before we called them that, the bad boys of Detroit and Barkley and um, just sort of the rivalries and the tension that was coming up with certain games and certain teams in the NBA. Uh, and this is all in this of Michael Jordan you know, starting to get sized up from mm-hmm. his, uh, his king's robes and his crowns and his, you know, multiple – uh, championship rings, and you also had the Lakers who were impeccable, and the and you know, so there's this alternate story going on. And I was always sort of fascinated by those alternate currents within sports. Uh, and I don't know, I don't know why it is that non sports uh publications you think about like Dave Zirin and uh, I guess what's he write for the, the nation? Um, there are people who just I think have an interesting perspective that don't write for Sports Illustrated and ESPN, and, and those are great publications, and I've sort of always latched on to that. Uh, and it really kind of speaks to my roundabout way of getting into sports writing and interviewing that I, I didn't go to journalism school, or at least I didn't finish college with a journalism degree. I went into the business world for about 20 years, kind of danced around as long as I could. Um, and, you know, it always kind of poked at me at this hobby, this need to write, this need to sort of just kind of not necessarily go on rants and, and speak my point of view, but just I've always been fascinated with sports and the little things about sports. I could I could give you a list all day, but Think about the fact that uh, if you were a Catholic school football player in America, historically, you want to go to Notre Dame, but you don't see people saying, I'm going to go to USC and play football because I'm a Methodist. Like mm-hmm. there's these strange currents and anecdotes and um, parochial natures and sports that pop up that I'm just sort of fascinated with. And I've always sort of had fetishes that, that have kind of piqued my interest in certain 
certain spaces and and that's kind of you know it's kind of it's kind of a haphazard way to approach sports mm-hmm. but that's i guess my life in sports has been haphazard yeah and i mean there's nothing wrong or not but yeah. I, I think it's your question man you can answer however you want um i think you know it's it's important for people to i mean sports does so much in so many different ways i mean right now obviously with the pandemic like what's the thing that people are talking about the most right outside of politics and the pandemic itself is people are just constantly talking about sports now maybe that's just the people i surround myself with and and the the people that i pay attention to most but it's still one of the most talked about things on the internet and across the world right now is when's it coming back how's it going to come back what's it going to look like oh the fantasy aspect there's so much about that and i think there's a lot of different avenues and a lot of different gateways as you've you know kind of pointed out a a um a unique one and kind of how you look at it and the things that you look about it. And that's fine with me, man. We're, we're all on the same team here, right? Like we're all watching the same game. You're just watching it from a different perspective, which I actually think is pretty damn cool in the way you've been able to do that. And then with your, with your career itself, as, as you said, you know, you kind of danced around the business world for a little bit, it sounds like, and then you're able to finally dive deep. Um, I know, you know, reading, you know, the information that you sent over to me. So I do appreciate that. You just kind of started blogging for fun in 2009 you know, yeah. here you are 11 years later interviewing people like, you know, Venus and Serena Williams, if I'm not mistaken, Greg Norman. I mean, not messing around at this point. So how, yeah. how did you, you know, first off, why did you start blogging? And then how did you take it from blogging to getting a job at ESPN? Well, it's um, in about 2009, I think I was, I was working for an insurance company. I was, I was in sales in the financial world for a long time in different, different spots. I sold uh, insurance, sold currency, sold mutual funds and retirement plans and all that fun hey, stuff. me too. And I think I just got to a point where I needed something to keep me sane. And uh, I remember, so one thing that about Facebook is, I don't know if you remember Facebook, when you would write notes and a lot of the notes that people have like, here's 15 things about me and mm-hmm. tag my friends. And somehow just me being me, it ended up being about sports and uh, found myself getting into like, not arguments, but kind of rants. And I remember one day, um, I was going off on, uh, you know, I'm a huge Premier League soccer fan, and, and I'm one of those non-Man United fans that actually likes David Beckham, and I just watched his career, and I think this is probably the summer of 2009 that you know, he's playing, he was with the Galaxy but during the summer, he's, maybe I, I might have it backwards, he's, he's basically playing part of his year with AC Milan, and mm-hmm. they came to play at the Galaxy, and the Galaxy fans booed him, and I kind of wrote a little kind of speak my piece rant about how underappreciated he is and, and not even getting to celebrity and you know all the reasons that a lot of diehard soccer fans hate him they think he's too pretty he's too you know he's just an okay pretty good midfielder mm-hmm. and uh, a friend of mine from back home who is uh, my friend Deirdre is a huge Flyers fan she's a huge sports fan but I, I texted her right now and said you know what jersey number because I forget let's say what number did David uh, did uh, Peter Zezel wear I happen to know he wore number 25 but she'll come back to me in like two, like 10 seconds and say 25. So uh, she said, you know, you should start a blog. You know, it's like, okay, I think I know what a blog is. You know, it's one of those things where you mm-hmm. go on the web and you just sort of, you know, type out your thoughts and try to make it presentable. And eventually I did that. And, uh, you know, I kind of first started my, my blog on blogger.com and I basically begged eight of my friends at home to read it and kind of give me their opinion. And uh, found it as kind of like, you know, some people do yoga, some people, uh, do meditation. That was sort of my version of both to kind of keep mm-hmm. me sane while uh, I was working in the business world. And, you know, I, one thing that I will say, and I, I think this is underrated as far as it, it maybe it only exists in the freelance uh, contributor realm of, of sports is that uh, I took a lot of soft skills from my business career and my sales career into sports writing. So, um, you know, I kind of set my expectations low. I thought, well, if I, if I write something, get it published in the next five years, this is in 2009, I'll, I'll be happy with that. But I think what, what you get from being in business world is you learn how to be diplomatic. You learn how to, you know, either not take no for an answer, not get bent out of shape the first time. Maybe you pitched an article idea and you get turned down. And, you know, follow up and just sort of staking your claim is part of being in the business world. And I, I don't know if I thought about it at first, but I, I sort of put that, mindset and into writing and eventually made some contacts and just, you know, actually like around town in Chicago here and, you know, in the sort of the ESPN footprint, met some people and started, you know, I never said, Hey, give me your editor's contact Mm -hmm. information, but I'd kind of run ideas by people. And eventually it led to 
the first article that I wrote for ESPN in July of 2011 about a sport called fistball, which you may or may, or may have never heard of. But picture a volleyball without a full net. Instead, it's just got a, a band, like an orange band from one side to the next, six feet above the ground. And you, when you hit the ball, you have to hit it with an open hand. So like you can't close a fist, you got to have your hand open in some fashion. So apparently this sport, I don't even remember how I found out about it, but I found out that there was a World Cup and it was very popular in places like Scandinavia, Germany, Brazil, South Africa. And all of a sudden there was this ragtag group of um, maybe like eight or 10 guys in Wisconsin and another seven or eight guys in Philadelphia who came together to be the U.S. Uh, United States Fistball World Cup team. And they were going to play in the World Cup in Austria, Germany. Um, and so they were basing their operations up, up. I live in Chicago, so I, about an hour and a half away, they were playing in Jackson, Wisconsin, was like their home club. And I just contacted them and, you know, I talked to some people. I talked to like the, uh, the U.S. Fistball, you know, basically the, the league chairman, who was a guy mm-hmm. who, uh, he works for the Park District um, somewhere up in Wisconsin. He was like super excited to have me up and I spent a day up there and shot some video of this weird sport and, you know, kind of thought I would get blown off by the editor that I connected with. But uh, that day in July, I was actually at the Cubs-Phillies game here. And I just checked my phone, my BlackBerry, you know, piece of crap phone. I could barely check the internet with. And like, mm-hmm. I think I got published. I was with my friend Matt Lindner at the time who had done some stuff for MLB and ESPN. I was like, I think I got published. So, uh, you know, and it was like a day later. I didn't even notice it. Like, they didn't send me an email. But, uh, yeah, I just kind of like thought that it was a one-shot one deal and thought I would never uh, – write for them again, but just kind of kept my mind open and looked for opportunities. And uh, lo and behold, when uh, Scotty Powers here, I guess he writes primarily about hockey now, but the time he was doing the the prep school blog for ESPN Chicago on, on football. And I had heard around about that he needed, he wanted somebody to cover Southside Catholic League football. And I was like, I'll do it. So, uh, you know, I had a, had a game originally like a Friday night game once a week. And then it was like two games on the weekend. Friday night, Saturday, basically the writing game recaps on my BlackBerry and sending them in as fast as I could. But, you know, it's, it's there's something special when your name is right below the ESPN logo, whether you're writing about, I don't know, log tossing or hmm. interviewing someone famous, it's, it's kind of special. And I just kind of kept that going and, uh, you know, was, was, was a football writer covering prep football for the fall of 2011. And then I can, I can go into details about how I did the other things, but kind of just played leapfrog and, hop from opportunity to opportunity, uh, just, you know, looking for stuff outside the big four sports at ESPN. They have staffers that mm-hmm. cover that. They weren't going to take a baseball story for me at the time, but, you know, covered uh, athletic pursuits, like skydiving and roller derby and, you know, some other things that just sort of eventually led to sort of the big time with, um, you know, major sports and major sports mm-hmm. stars. And I think it's such a cool way of going about it. I mean, you know, so especially in that, that first article with Fistball, do you, do you go to ESPN and say, hey, I have this idea. Do you let me do it? Or, or do you write that and send it to them and be like, hey, I, I did this. Like, if you guys are interested, you can publish it. Like, how does that process and how does that relationship work? Well, the, and so that was, uh, I don't know if you remember page two. Page two back then was sort of, weird quirky sports things, you know, the, the daily video of the kid mm-hmm. making the high school, you know, winning the high school state championship with a, a shot from the other end. They were looking for stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and also actually they did a lot of like um, sports and music related stuff, which is sort of how I got to do like interviewing aging rock stars about their sports hankerings. But at the time it was, you pitch them an idea and nine times out of 10, it was no, like not even like, no, thank you. Keep us abreast. It was just like, no, you know, period. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I just hit on something that was quirky, but official enough because of the world cup yeah. somewhere. And, you know, it's, um, I think one thing I learned in the business world in sales was how to be succinct and get your point across. Uh, I call it the hundred word pitch. Like if they're not going to be interested in a hundred words, I could write the whole article and no one's going to care, but you got to mm-hmm. kind of grab people, uh, in an email, an editor as a freelancer in an email, just like you would a headline on a blog or a major website. So yeah, I guess probably hit the right note after getting no a couple of times and uh, had some video go with it, which wasn't such a bad thing. And, you know, again, I said, I I never thought that I would go much past that, but I just kind of kept at it and, you know, kept my ears open and and didn't get discouraged and just Mm -hmm. uh, threw more ideas out there based on what I thought that they might be interested in. 
Yeah. And you also said yes to the next opportunity that came about. I always think that that's very important. A lot of people, like how many people that have a full-time job in the finance space, I'm sure you weren't doing terrible. Um, granted, this is 2009, well, 2011, everything kind of yeah. started to be fine again. Um, you know, you have a full-time job, you're probably making, you know, you're making a salary in some capacity, I'm assuming, you know, how many people would say, yes, let me sacrifice my Friday night and then part of my Saturday to cover college, you know, uh, you know, prep school, high school football, you know, here in Chicago, not too many people are saying yes to that opportunity and they would have probably kept doing what you were doing. If they even decided to start. So I think that that is pretty important too. And I mean, how did you like, was your family, were they all about that? It's like, yeah, you know, go for it, you know, co go cover all that high school football. Like how did that work yeah. out? Well, my wife is very supportive and, and like me, very entrepreneurial. My kid, so my kid's 13 now. So about that time he was three mm -hmm. and I think it's in the blood. He, you know, he didn't even grow up in Philadelphia like I did. And he hates the Dallas Cowboys and we'll, we'll tell you. So Good he hates him. the Packers too, because he was born in Chicago. But um, yeah, just kind of like, uh, you know, it's a, it's Friday night for me to go out. And, and you know, spend a couple hours out there was no big deal. You know, provided you're kind of doing your your share, mm -hmm. you know, on, on, on some other occasion. Uh, so it wasn't like and I never thought oh, I don't really I really want to go out and drink with my buddies. Like if I could write about sports and get paid fifty bucks for it or whatever it was, seventy five bucks at the time. I mean, hell yeah, I'm gonna definitely do it. Uh, and at the, I, I would guess that it's probably the same to some degree is what I do now. You know, I, I, at the end of the game, I'm searching out the tight end who wasn't supposed to catch the ball at all, much less the pass that won the game. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking to him and, you know, getting a quote. Um, some of these high school kids uh, in Illinois are, you know, they're, some of them are, don't know what to say and others are kind of media ready. And, you know, they say the same things that like LeBron's going to say mm -hmm. or Shaq, like, I don't know. I didn't think about it. I just keep my head in the game. You know, they say the same things, but yeah. Um, you know, you plug those into your, your article just because you're writing about high school football doesn't mean that you don't do the same things. So uh, I, kind of, I kind of sharpened my skills there and I always try to keep it conversational. One thing you learn from the business world in sales is like you asking a kind of, if not a loaded question, an open-ended question, you shut up and let the person talk. And you're probably going to get some pretty good gems. So when I got, you know, past the high school football gig and I was pitching things to ESPN page two again, I, I I decided that um, well, there's, I got an opportunity to talk to Billy Corgan from Smashing Pumpkins at the time he was founding his pro wrestling league, you know, and I'm like, I don't remember that. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was 2000, uh, it was called resistance pro, you know, Billy had, you know, I don't know, gobs of money. And I think it was kind of that uh, kind of a circling pattern at, 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 relative to what Smashing Pumpkins kind of before they came back together. Anyway, long story short, he's a huge wrestling fan. I think he tried to get involved in WWE and they're like, yeah, no, thanks. We, we got it covered. So he, you know, being, uh, being who he is, he started his own pro wrestling league with uh, a couple of investors and was heavily involved. And uh, you know, he's, he's the kind of sports fan that wanted to be interviewed by ESPN. So uh, at the time I was blogging for Chicago now, and we got an email, I think from Jimmy Greenfield, he's like, don't ask me about this, but if you want, you know, like Billy Corgan's, you probably saw in Fox sports that, He's doing this wrestling league here, you know, his PR people contacted us here, email him if you want. And I just was like, well, I'm definitely putting ESPN in the headline of my email. And if they respond, great. If not, you know, again, that's that business thing. Uh, and I got to interview him and we, you know, he was kind of guarded the first, I think I interviewed him three times total. He was kind of guarded, but you know, you ask questions about music and um, I think he really, he, you know, he's a diehard Bears fan and, and Cubs fan we just talked about like why, why you know kind of like you're asking me like why did he take his time to you know, invent this thing and it's just, it's just all gets down to passion and interest in and interest in the sport and uh you know that one kind of like with the first opportunity kind of leapfrogged me into interviewing other not everybody i wanted to interview but other you know pitching other rock stars talking about sports and on my birthday in 2012 i'm a huge oasis fan so it's like Okay, Noel Gallagher has his new band. He's coming to Chicago, coming to the U.S. anyhow. I want, to, I want to see if I can interview Noel Gallagher and talk about Man City or whatever the heck he wants to talk about. And it just so happened that his first couple of music videos had like heavy sports references. There's a boxing one. There's one with a skateboarder who like steals a package and gets chased across town. And, um, you know, just to kind of use my business prospecting skills from back when I was stalking people to you know, buy investments from me. 
spent about a day hunting, you know, hunting down who I needed to talk to and, you know, got the interview. And it's, it's, it all comes down to, I think, passion, just deciding what you want to do. And, you know, it, it was, uh, it's been a fun experience along the way. So, yeah, I, I think it's so cool, man. And I think, you know, the, the music aspect, if you're coming from, you know, as you said, there's certain, you know, who doesn't love sports, right? And yeah. if you can then go to these musicians and not ask them for a music interview but ask them like hey i work with espn and we're looking to interview rock stars and and you know musicians on their love of sports that's probably so unique and different they don't get that opportunity very often yeah it's kind of a stroke to their ego i mean it was that was actually the year in 2012 when man city won the the league for the first time in 44 years so and you know if you live in britain in the uk you're seeing you know people like uh you know Noel Gallagher talking about uh, Man City. Apparently, John Cena is a huge Premier League soccer fan too. I don't know what, what team he supports, but he was kind of bouncing around at that time. I never got to talk to him. But um, so, I mean, you know, when you're talking to major rock stars, uh, even about sports, and you're you know you're doing your best to keep conversational and not piss them off and not have them hang up on you, you kind of get, uh, if nothing else, that when you get a chance to talk to a professional athlete, like they value people being real and direct. And I was never an investigative journalist anyway. So I got your questions aren't my thing, mm-hmm. but you know, you talk to a person like a normal person and you kind of approach them with confidence and you're direct and you make eye contact, you know, they respect that. And you know, they'll be frank with you and tell you what they think. Um, so then, you know, fast forward, um, I get an opportunity to, to interview a race car named Chase Elliott. I don't know, Jack mm-hmm. about uh, NASCAR a couple of years ago. Um, you know, he's like a Chase Elliott's great. He's, he's kind of a polite, nice Southern gentleman. Uh, you get to talk to Kyle Bush and he might, he might expand on who's, who he doesn't like on the track and who's pissed him off the last race. And, you know, he's, he's kind of laid back in a different way, but also intense. And, you know, he won, he won the NASCAR cup series last year. So, you know, he's going to kind of tell you what he thinks about the sport and, that doesn't make me Dale Earnhardt Jr. or anything, but it's at the same time, it's like, okay, I'm going to ask you a question, talk all you want. And mm-hmm. again, you get these gems. I, I reason, before I forget, the reason uh, I brought up Noel Gallagher is that I think, don't quote me on this, I think I'm the first person who's ever gotten him to talk about the NFL. We're talking about Man City. We're talking about how he stays up late at night. I kind of asked him if he likes American sports at all. And he's like, yeah, I don't get baseball, basketball. I don't understand that. Oh, but I effing love the NFL. And I, I got the sense that, you know, he stays up to like two, three, four in the morning when we're watching football here. And I think people in the UK like the NFL. They just like seeing people in these helmets crashing into each other and decking each other. And to them, that's unique. And, uh, you know, I was the first one, I think, who ever talked to uh, Noel Gallagher about the NFL. Now he gets asked about the NFL um, whenever he's being interviewed by Absolute Started Radio trend, or BBC man. or whoever. So. Yeah, so that was kind of cool, you know? It is cool. And again, I just think your career is very, very interesting. I mean, to this point, you know, you're still at ESPN. You're talking to some really cool musicians, especially ones that you love, you know, close to your heart, talking about something that you love as well as sports. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can understand why they love football because I love it so much too. So I really can't blame anybody. Um, I know I, I have a, my cousin works for a company that's based out of the UK. And he, he says nobody works the day after the Super Bowl there because they're all up until three, four o'clock in the morning watching the game with us because they all love it so much. So no one really does too much the next day, which always makes me laugh. Um, Was so I, I can't tell, was this something that not that you fell into, but the idea to kind of be super unique with ESPN again, with these log rolling and fistball and, and, you know, let's talk to musicians. Like, was this on purpose or was this just kind of like, Hey, this is cool. I'm just going to keep doing it. A little bit of both. I mean, when I was uh, in the, in, in the financial world, uh, and this is kind of a boring analogy, but, um, you know, I knew a lot of people, I was like 34 and I knew a lot of people starting businesses like chiropractors and dentists. And, you know, like I kind of looked at the opportunity, like they don't have $10 million portfolios they can roll over to me. And I don't, I didn't work for a company that was specialized in that, but I'm like, well, they need, you know, they need to set up stuff for their business. And I kind of specialize in that. So I guess I always had this kind of opportunistic mindset for lack of a better term to see, if, you know, again, if I want to write about sports, you know, I'll write about, I don't know, rooster races or whatever the heck ESPN at the time wanted, you know, had an opening for. I just kind of pitched a couple things and, um, you know, kind of fell on my face a couple of times. But, you know, you kind of look for the market opportunity. And 
now that I write for Forbes, you know, I'm a contributor and it, it sort of runs like a blog in that I can do whatever I want. Uh, so it's not really the place to do game recaps, you know, whether it's the Super Bowl or just a game last night. So uh, I kind of just decided I wanted to you know, interview different athletes and, you know, it's, it's, I've had some great opportunities to meet and interview people like Greg Norman and Annika Sorenstam and Johnny Bench. Um, got a story about how I tracked him down, but th but then also like just people who've, who've won the New York Marathon last year, or uh, Dr. Steve Sirio, who's a, a wheelchair basketball player. Who you know he's not going to play in the Olympics now. The Olympics and the Paralympics have been, I guess, postponed or canceled. But his story, I think, is just as interesting as you know Greg Norman talking about playing with Michael Jordan. Well, I didn't write about this, but you know, frustrating Michael Jordan and watching Michael Jordan hit his ball into the in the bushes pissed off as hell that he can't, you know, hang with Greg Gorman, who's one of the greatest golfers of all time. So, you know, you get these interesting little anecdotes, but uh, I don't know. It's, it's all interesting to me. It's I'll talk to anybody about almost any sport provided it's, you know, you know, legitimate and serious. You and me both, man. I'll talk to anybody in sports about anything in sports. I'm totally cool with that. That's why I love doing this. I'm um, just getting to talk to people like you right now. Right. Uh, so I think it is, it is a lot of fun. And so, I mean, you were at ESPN contributing for about six years, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, you know, as you said, it's really cool to see the ESPN logo and then your name right underneath it. What, um, what was the, at, at what point, so during this entire time, you still had your full-time job as well, or at what yeah. point did you, so you did. So how difficult did it become, you know, doing essentially two jobs at once? Well, it's, it was so intermittent. I mean, when I was writing for ESPN for the six years, it was usually like two pieces a quarter, maybe three if I was lucky. Okay. Um, so if you're talking to rock stars about the sports anchorings, you're talking to them at soundcheck at seven at night before they're, you know, mm -hmm. they jump on stage at 9 PM in Detroit. Uh, um, I think of the whole time I one time stayed at, at work when I was working for a currency broker downtown. Uh, it was actually, I think the night of our, like we were going to go to a, a restaurant for a little holiday party. I was like, look, I got to make a call, but I'll meet you guys out there later. And I, I talked to uh, Rit Daniel, who is the lead singer of Spoon. He had a side project at the time called the Divine Fits. And uh, his story was like, he was a, a, a Dallas Mavericks fan, like when they were terrible, like way long. And so we kind of joked like, He's the ultimate Dallas Mavericks hipster. Mm -hmm. Like he liked him before it was cool, um, you know, before they they upset uh, LeBron and, and Miami to win the championship. Uh, but most of the time it was, you know, it's, I think I talked to Noel Gallagher on the weekend that the, the, the time kept getting moved. And I was at, I was actually at UIC Pavilions outside. I was there to cover a roller derby match. I had to step outside and the wind was horrible. It was really loud outside. And I, you know, recorded, if you listen to the, the quality of my recording with him, it wasn't great, but I mean, I could, I could hear it. It was just, the, it's what it is. You know, if you got to, you know, step into a phone booth and do an interview because you're out, um, that's the way it is. Uh, to give you another example, back around Thanksgiving, I interview, I got to interview uh, Tony Hawk, who's doing, awesome. you know, he's a huge entrepreneur, he owns some businesses. Yeah. Of course, when you get in, offered an opportunity to interview someone like Tony Hawk, the answer is obviously yes. And um, I just got a dog in August and the dog sometimes will just decide when he wants to be walked. So literally at like 1145, I have my scheduled interview with Tony Hawk and it's 1134 and the dog wants to be walked. I'm like, oh crap. Okay. What am I going to do? So, you know, I took Rody out, walked due West away from the, the train tracks as far as I could get, as soon as I could get out there. And, you know, like walking my dog interviewed Tony Hawk with my uh, little recorder between my, mm -hmm ear and the headphones I'm wearing right now and just did, you know, conversational interview with him, and, you know, broke down the interview later. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just with ESPN, it was kind of like, um, a lot of extreme sports stuff. It was, you know, not in terms of like deadlines and the workload, it wasn't a lot. It was kind of like, whatever, I had a good idea and they were interested, I would punch it up and then schedule the interview and, uh, get it out there. And a lot of times it was, you know, just kind of at, at my own pace, you know, I'm working a job that's, you know, eight, eight to five or whatever in the office. So I'm not doing it then, but you know, you learn how to be flexible if you're entrepreneurial and you just sort of make it work. And mm -hmm. sometimes the interviews are at night or the weekends. And, you know, if it's kind of like with the phone booth thing, if you got to step out at your lunch break and try to find a quiet place downtown to do a 15 minute phoner, you're going to figure out how to do it somehow. And that's, mm -hmm. you know, you just, you just kind of uh, improvise like you would if you're a, uh, 
you know, a professional athlete, you know, in the game, I guess. hundred percent, man. And yeah, I think again, you know, with some of the people that you're interviewing, you know, as you said, Tony Hawk, like, I'm finding a way to figure out how to do that interview, you know, make the dog kind of be quiet, let the dog do its thing. It is a dog. Right. Um, <laughs> but you're going to make sure you get that interview with Tony Hawk in, which I think is really cool. And as you've been, you know, name dropping this whole time, which I really appreciate. I just think it's, yeah, yeah. It, it is pretty awesome, man, what you've been able to do. And so you're at ESPN, as you said, not writing, I mean, writing consistently, but yeah, not like, a staffer. Yeah. Yeah. It's sparsely over, you know, the six years that you're there. Um, you then, you know, I saw you at tabloid for a second as well, which is when I hear tabloid and I see tabloid, yeah. I think tabloid. Was it like one of those like National Enquirer type? Like, no, 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 no. Okay, I, good, I, good, good. When good. I say tabloid, I'm actually this is a, a graphic design referring to the size of the. Uh, so the Chicago Tribune used to have this. Uh, it was daily for a while. Um, thing called Red Eye, mm-hmm. and it was you know, kind of a lot of fun, snarky news. You know, a lot of entertainment. I don't watch TV, so I didn't, didn't really you know, care about the, what they had to say about the bachelor or American Mm -hmm. idol. They had a lot of that stuff, but the sports was like kind of a comical point of view about the Cubs and the bulls and, you know, just local sports. So um, I think my, my friend, Jack Silverstein, who's like a football oral historian knows everything about the bears. We're having a beer one time. He's like, you know, you should probably write for red eye. Like they have some Cubs people, but you know, he liked my, um, I think he just liked the way I write. He introduced me to, to the editor there and, you know, the same thing. I had to kind of pitch a couple ideas and uh, just, you know, uh, not too different from ESPN. Just kind of had some intermittent uh, narratives I would pick up. Of course, like the Cubs or sorry, the, like the, the Packers Bears rivalry is not much of a rivalry anymore, but like things like that will come up. People want to write uh, articles about it. A lot of fans want to read different perspectives about it. I had mine. So um cub socks of course was always a great series to write about because well at the time that they were both terrible but you know the uh the rivalries there and now that we've both won world series fairly recently it's it's you know there's an interesting historical narrative there so yeah so uh red eye was just kind of a daily tabloid that had you know entertainment news and sports and i'd write you know intermittently for that and it was kind of more you know just kind of more fun writing wasn't really super Mm -hmm. deep didn't do any interviews with that, but uh, you know, I, I, I guess for better or worse, I, I, I built a track record as a bit of a baseball writer. Mm-hmm. So then um, got to write to Rolling Stone as, I mean, uh, I had some, some things that sometimes uh, writers will, we don't do it very often, I don't think, but we'll sort of trade contacts and say, oh, you know, do you know anybody over this publication? I might want to write for them and traded some, uh, some intel with somebody who had done one article at Rolling Stone and uh, she, she had said, I think there's a new sports writer there. I don't know if he'll respond to you, but here's his name and his email. And uh, it just so happened that I think it was, in, it was must've been August of 2016 when the bull, when the, the Cubs were hot, uh, that I got in touch uh, with the sports editor, the new sports editor at Rolling Stone, who was a Cubs fan from Chicago. And the first idea or two that I pitched he wasn't interested in, but um, we eventually kind of found a way to, to work through some ideas because he, you know, he wanted to cover baseball at the time. Uh, Rolling Stone was covering more, you know, national sports. So, you know, same thing, just kind of pitch a couple ideas, see what works, kind of respond to what their interest in needs are, not, you know, not push your agenda, uh, really be open to, to what's out there. And mm-hmm. I got a great opportunity to, to write for when we talking about baseball, primarily baseball, but baseball and football and some other things for, uh, you know, almost two years. Mm-hmm. And so this is, you know, now moving from ESPN to Rolling Stone or spending a lot of your time there, this is mm-hmm. still the second job, correct? It's the second one that's pretty consistent. I mean, with, okay. uh, with ESPN, you know, like I said, we're intermittently as a, as a freelancer for, for six years, uh, kind of made a decision that some of the things I was writing about there, like extreme sports, I, I didn't, I wasn't, done with it but i just mm-hmm. want to write more about baseball yeah. until this opportunity so it was like a natural pivot i mean espn is is great to write for i for some reason when i had kind of gradually told or maybe announced to my friends i, I had an article coming out for rolling stone it was like whoa holy crap that's huge well it's like well espn's pretty huge too but yeah it was just a different bag mm-hmm. so uh yeah it was it was it was kind of a, na- a natural pivot i mean i, I consider this whole thing my hobby on steroids mm-hmm. you know i still actually do some contract writing it's not like f- sports writing is my full-time only thing that i do 
but it's gotten more serious over the years. And uh, yeah, it just kind of made, made a natural pivot from mm-hmm. one major sports, one major journalism banner to the next one. Mm-hmm. And, and even as you said in the beginning, you know, you're kind of the way you've always looked at sports writing is, is, yeah, it's cool for ESPN to write about sports, but when it gets into these, you know, Rolling Stone opportunities, Forbes as well, kind of these national well-known brands that are outside of sports, when they kind of dip their toes into those areas, they don't, you know, go find Joe Schmo. They don't go hire me. They go hire somebody that is very well respected, knows what they're doing and how they're doing it. So I think that part's really important too. And just the perspectives that come with something like that. So I think that that part's very interesting. And, you know, as you, what you fell in love with about sports writing is now, you know, once we make it to Rolling Stone, that's kind of where the story comes a little full circle, I think, which is, uh, which is pretty damn cool, man. Yeah. So, uh, I, so here's the thing. I think people assume that I get these, you know, jet set trips to do sports things all over. What happened with the 2017 world series was I actually had booked a a conference. Um, I was going to one day digital media conference out in LA. I actually, one of those people who likes LA a lot and I had some friends I was going to drop in and visit, you know, and it's always sunny there. Yeah. So I think literally the the Thursday of the first leg of the world series, I was going to LA already um, by about, August of 2017, you know, the Dodgers are 55 games above 500. And mm-hmm. they're probably going to go to the World Series if, if they don't screw it up majorly. Um, I had made a friend at Major League Baseball who, uh, yeah, he's just a good guy. We just kind of hit it off. He's a, I think he's a Knicks fan, so I think. Poor guy. When I make, when I make fun of the Knicks, he, you know, he rolls with it. Um, and so I had got passed on me just kind of like, hey, if you're interested – here's how you apply for media, media credentials for the World Series. But you got to have your editor fill it out. Um, so at that time, I was writing, basically reporting to the editorial director of rollingstone.com. And I said, you know, I'm going to LA anyway. If you could be kind of so kind enough to fill out this form, if you want, I'll just do some, you know, some high-level articles. I'm not going to cover the, unless you want it, you know, the, the play-by-play of the whole thing. And uh, yeah, so I mean, I actually like paid for my, I think they might've, it might've been expense my flight. I don't even remember at this point, but I was going out there anyway. Um, of course, I'm going to f- try to finagle a media pass to the World Series if I can go. And it was amazing. I mean, that was kind of the, my first taste of being in the same room with like legendary athletes. I walk into media day, the Monday, the day before the game won the World Series. I'm huffing and puffing because my flight was late. It took, I mean, you've, I don't know if you've been to Dodger Stadium. It's beautiful. It's a pain to get to. Yeah. And if you're taking a lift and you go all or an Uber, you go all the way to the parking lot. It's just it's it's awful. So I get there. I'm like covered in sweat. My phone battery's dying. I, I walk into Media Day, which is like, oh wow, there's Justin Verlander sitting at a table right there, and I can go mm-hmm. and just walk up and talk to him. As a sports fan, mm-hmm. you kind of have a reality check. Like, wait, is this really happening? I'm standing next to Altuve. Oh, and there's you know they're everywhere, and I can just go up and ask some questions. Uh, I went up, I think I, I have a kind of a fetish for middle relievers. I don't know why I'm so fascinated with like relief pitchers and closers. Mm-hmm. It's cause I never pitched in my life. Yeah. Um, but I talked to like Chris Devensky and, and uh, Ken Giles, who was close at the time and then waited my turn to talk to uh, kind of for the, the crowd to die down. And I'm standing next to Bob Nightingale, who's the national baseball reporter for USA today, waiting my turn to talk to Justin Verlander. So I'm like, no, you go ahead first. And Bob was really nice. He's like, no, you can go. Like, you know, I have questions to ask him. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to be a while, talk to him. And uh, I talked to mostly, I uh, talked to Verlander mostly about, you know, he had just been acquired after the All-Star game. Um, I don't remember if he was on waivers or what it was, but they picked yeah, him up late. He was, he was waivers like August 31st, if I'm not yeah, mistaken. Like, Some crazy. Like, surprise. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we joked about, I asked him if he got hazed, you know, because he's the new kid on the block at the Astros who had already, you know, basically booked their ticket to the World Series pretty mm-hmm. much before he got there. He was just the icing on the cake. He's the cherry on top, really. And, uh, you know, kept a conversational, joked around with him, but he gave me a couple good quotes about sort of their outlook and what it's like to jump into this, you know, well, the story at the time was this great team that, mm-hmm. you know, had everything going for them. And he they was figured something out, man. I don't know how yeah, they did it, but they yeah, just figured something out. I never thought to ask about that, uh, the sign stealing, but, but, but it, you know, it wasn't, the narrative was maybe the Astros are going to win a World Series this time, and oh, they've got a really great team. So, uh, yeah, it was you know, being there, uh, you know, and watching batting practice. And I'm, you know, 30 feet away, I'm 30, I'm 50 feet away from 
Corey Seager. The only people we can get like within 10 feet of him are Ken mm-hmm. Rosenthal and like the Nash reporters. And I'm looking at you know, Corey Seager, who's 6'3", and he probably weighs what I weigh, you know, I'm at 5'7", and he's all muscle. And every time he swings the bat, you feel like he just ripped half of the ball into your face with the way he hits, like how hard he hits the ball. Mm-hmm. And you get, you know, a front row to, you know, this was, I had seen sports. So I've sat in front rows of baseball games. It's not the same thing when you're on the field before, you know, the game or at batting practice and you're, you're seeing – you know, Curtis Granderson, who's 38 years old at the time, who's got, you know, muscles that I would die for, you know, if I worked at every day of my life, you know, right there, you just really feel the power and, you know, the intensity of, of, of the sport. It, it was really a great thing to see. And I, I, since then I've, I've gotten to experience it in other sports. I've gone to NASCAR races and you know, been in, in uh, right at pit row and I've, you know, I got, I was lucky enough to take a, a, a short putting lesson from Annika Swarn, Sam, uh, you know, about, yeah, like the first week of uh, March before this coronavirus thing changed the world. And she was super cool and really polite. And, you know, she told me I was good at putting, which I'm not sure is true, but, you know, it's, it's, it's been a really great ride. I've been able to do some things that, uh, you know, riding the pace car at Daytona, like just things that you are on your bucket list and I've, I've gotten to do them. It's just pretty cool. So I that is awesome, man. And I mean, clearly you, you, you know, you just haven't gotten to do them. Um, you've earned the right to do that. You know, like these people respect who you are and what you've been able to do and accomplish, you know, since 2009, when you kind of wrote that, uh, those first blogs and your friend, you know, you, you said her name before, but shout out to her again for just kind of saying like, Hey man, you should do this. This is kind of cool. And you know, looks where it, look where it's taken you. I, I think it's incredible. I mean, the world series, you even saying being a very big baseball fan, wanting to write about baseball, Baseball is my favorite thing on planet Earth. So that opportunity just sounds absolutely incredible. I mean, I was at the Mets, the 2015 World Series. Um, I was actually at the one game they won, which was kind of nice. So just that feeling and that energy. I've never, I don't know what that feeling was. I've never had it before. And I've, you know, I probably won't have it again for another 15 years until they get to go to the World Series again. But, um, you know, it's just one of those things where it's, there's something about sports, man, and uh, brings people together. It does things. And as you said, you, kind of it's, it's your hobby on steroids and you've been lucky enough and well, I don't believe in luck you've you've earned the opportunities to be able to do all of these incredible things so you know kudos to you for that one man that's incredible nice. yeah you uh whatever business you're in you're in I think if you become a local um that's that's kind of a I used to deal with traders a, a local is the name of the term as a term for someone who's actually like in the pit mm-hmm. you know guys who wave their hands around and you know buy and sell pork bellies or whatever that's a I think a Chicago Board of Trade term. So what I talked about back when I was doing that, what a local is, and literally you get to, you participate in everything that's going on every day. You, you get maybe some trade secrets or just sort of, you know, you hear the stories and you know your way around. And I don't you know, know my way around the way that, uh, you know, some of the national baseball reporters and, uh, the, you know, the biggest, the biggest names do. But you, you kind of learn the ropes a little bit and you learn – you know, what questions to ask and what not to, and sort of how to be at the right place in the right time. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, actually this is the first podcast I've ever done. Nobody's ever been interested in talking to me about sports on a podcast. So congratulations. So there's a first every day and uh, thanks for you know having me on and let me babble thanks. about sports. Dude, for- you were awesome. And I mean, unless you have to go, I still have a couple more no, questions. No. So, uh, you know, I appreciate you coming on. I think, I think you actually reached out to me on LinkedIn because of one of the podcasts that I put up. Um, if I'm not mistaken with Jessica, David, go back and listen to yeah. that one. If anyone is interested, she is incredible. She actually just got a new position. She's now out in California. Um, actually, I don't know if she went yet because of everything that's going on, but she got a new position, which is really cool. And everything they're doing over at 76 Capital was a lot of fun. I've pretty much interviewed all of them at this point. So uh, they're all good people. And uh, yeah. yeah, man, I mean, I just think, you know, so with your opportunity at, at Rolling Stone, um, you know, interviewing so many people now, you know, I'm going to use air quotes covering real sports. No offense to all the uh, the roller derbies and uh, fist balls and uh, you know, log rolling, um, you know, but mm-hmm. now you get the opportunity to talk about baseball and football, some of the things you grew up loving and interviewing more, more and more athletes. What, um, how did the opportunity with Forbes come about? I mean, Forbes is like a well-known brand, especially when it comes to media and, yeah. um, you know, all this, especially in the business world. How does this type of opportunity, again, just kind of come about for you? Well, believe it or not, it's, again, being a local and talking to people. So um, I kind of knew that when Rolling Stone got bought – um, I don't remember his name, but Roger Penske's son is like a legit big time investor. And, um, you know, Jan Winter wanted to kind of retire and sell Rolling Stone. So uh, this young buck and his group came in legitimately and decided to kind of reorganize, rebrand Rolling Stone and really, you know, go straight into hardcore music. So 
you know, unless – I kind of knew that unless LeBron dropped a single with Drake and I could get an, an interview with either Drake or LeBron or both of them, they probably weren't going to be interested in my sports story. It's just the way it was. So rather than get, getting ticked off about it, I just kind of like thought, well, i got to look for the next thing. And um, so there's a, there's a, uh, a Dodgers writer and blogger named How, Howard Cole. Um, I think we probably wrangled about like, you know, the Cubs versus the Dodgers. And of course, uh, you know, he, he, he uh, the Dodgers have had the better hand in the last two years. And, and I noticed he was writing for Forbes. And I just, it kind of scratched my head about it. Cause like, how does someone write about, you know, maybe not the Dodgers and Dodgers sponsorships, but about, you know, who's playing first base and who's going to be, you know, the platoon players like write about that for Forbes. So I just messaged him one time. I'm like, Hey, you know, hope you don't mind let me ask you about your writing gig. And he's, he's like, actually, I can introduce you to uh, the editor and he can tell you whether or not they're looking for what kind of things you write about. So, um, yeah, I got connected and just, you know, I think probably writing for ESPN and Rolling Stone and some of the, inter- excuse me, interviews I had at the time helped. And they said, yeah, you know, this is how we work it. Um, we have a stay in your lane policy. You know, you can write about whatever you want with sports. Um, you know, be professional, respectful. Don't, you know, ran about politics if you're not a politics writer, uh, you know, kind of just do what you do best. So, uh, yeah, I think it was May of two years ago, I, I signed on with them. And um, the thing that was kind of uh, had my pants in the bunch at the time was LeVar Ball. So I think my first article was about that sports would be better in 2018 without LeVar Ball, mm-hmm. which, you know, people are definitely, uh, <laughs> they're open to you know, I don't write a lot of rants. There are people who do kind of like the Stephen A. Smith thing, probably with less yelling. Uh, occasionally <laughs> I'll do it, but the I don't have ways with less yelling, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't have enough energy in my tank, you know, enough gas in my tank to do that, you know, five to seven times a month. So uh, what was cool was, you know, I think LinkedIn is actually really underrated. And I had connected with a lot of people who would find me and pitch me ideas for Rolling Stone. Like, hey, we got this idea about this event that would be really great for Rolling Stone. And I would say, yeah, thanks for contacting me, but yeah, they're not gonna be interested in an article. I was able to go back to all those PR people, those publicists to say, hey, I can kind of do for the most part, whatever I want now, what are you working on? And, um, you know, it was, uh, I went back to somebody who got me an interview with Tim Raines, the Hall of Fame wow. baseball player who, mm-hmm. you know, he was, he was doing something for osteobiflex when, and that was sort of like their PR team. It's like, you don't have to ask him about like arthritis, but you just talked about his career. Cause he's, he's going to be inducted to the hall of fame. I went back to uh, that PR firm and they're like, yeah, we're not, we, you know, we're not doing any baseball people, but you want to talk to Chris Everett like about Wimbledon. And I said, yeah, I'll talk to Chris Everett about mm-hmm. Wimbledon. Sure. Um, and we got into the guts of her business. Like she runs a very high end tennis Academy. Not that, my kids or you will go to, but somebody who's, you know, on the cusp of, you know, being mm-hmm. number 300 in the world will go to for, you know, four months to, to straighten their game out. So she talked about that both as like a tennis person and a business person. And uh, yeah, so a lot of the opportunities with Forbes in terms of like what my content was came from that. Uh, right about the same time I saw a commercial on Twitter, if you remember this awesome commercial uh, about two years ago, when Kingsford Charcoal was sponsoring, they did a commercial where they have like Vin Scully and Johnny Bench and David Ortiz cold calling baseball mm-hmm. fans to say, okay, opening day is the same. Everybody's got the same opening day. It's March 29th. Are you going to be there on opening day? So there's a, you know, Johnny Bench is at a desk with a phone cold calling fans. And I, I thought to myself, I bet if I find out who the, who the PR person is for this, if I can find a press release, if I stalk whoever it is, they might give me a 10 minute interview with Johnny Bench and lo and behold, you know, I emailed them on a Friday and Monday they said yes. And, you know, on a Wednesday in late April, I'm talking to Johnny Bench about, you know, again, not the product, not about the campaign, about the funny commercial he did. And we talked a lot about grilling out. I guess he's really big into grilling steaks and he has his own spice rub, of course. Wouldn't give me a recipe. Uh, And then we talked a lot about, you know, why catchers are so much better than shortstops and second baseman, you know, uh, how he hit the ball and just his career. It was, because I've kind of modeled it off of that. Like I'm open to, again, somebody who ran the Boston Marathon and won. Um, but, you know, there's, there's been a couple of times that some big names have popped in my lap and Tony, Tony Hawk is one of them. And the, the golf, the golf, the PGA of golf players I've talked about are, mm-hmm. are another. And I'm open to it all. So it's just a matter of, um, you know, following up with people and 
just, uh, you know, having a conversation really. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's, I mean, my favorite part about this is everybody has a story. I mean, some people are better at articulating their story than others, but it's my job to ask you questions to understand that story, right? It's your job to ask everybody questions and understand their story and how they did it and why they did it and what they're doing and what they want to do. And, you know, that's just my favorite part is, you know, I just, I love talking, but I also just like listening too. That part's pretty fun. And, you know, the follow-up question, that's always something that I try and make sure that I'm, I'm prepared with. I don't really have that many questions down on my piece of paper. It's just, you know, topics, World Series, Astros versus Dodgers. Yeah. How many trash can bangs did you hear? I don't know. I'm not sure. You were in LA, so you probably didn't hear any. But, um, you know, it's just, it's just really cool getting to hear people and their stories and kind of how they've been where they've been through. And, and you, know, you really enjoy that. I really enjoy that. And I'm really grateful that you came on and you were able to tell us a little bit about it. I mean, you also just said something, um, you know, as we said with ESPN, it was, you know, a couple times a quarter you would have a, a, a piece. And mm-hmm. I, if, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, I heard five to seven articles a month for Forbes. Yeah. That sounds like a full-time job finally, correct? Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't think of it as a lot. Uh, when you're a freelance writer and you got a couple different projects, you sort of know how to organize a lot of your time. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I got to say no sometimes when I get emails. So back when I was doing ESPN Extreme Sports, it was like literally the Red Bull people saying, we got the breakdancing competition in Kazakhstan. Do you want to, well, do you want to go? I'm like, well, I don't know. I'm going to fly to Kazakhstan and you know, it's kind of outside the, you know, but I was grateful mm-hmm. that they contacted me. Occasionally they had some really good stuff. Now it's, um, you know, the, I get a lot of sports tech people uh, contact me and, you know, occasionally I'll write articles. Uh, like I just interviewed the CEO of Iron Man and, and in this whole coronavirus thing, Iron Man is going virtual. So if you were someone who was planning to compete for the Iron Man, you could still do the same thing. You're just going to run by yourself and wear a device and clock your time and maybe qualify for whatever's going on mm-hmm. in New Zealand or Hawaii that way. So it's, uh, that stuff I think is interesting. Uh, of course, when you get an opportunity to interview a bigger name athlete, that always stands out and, you know, you want to be definitely respectful of, of their time and, and talk about what they're known for. Um, when I got to interview Rob Gronkowski a couple of years ago, it was, it was doing basically like a, a show like Shark Tank. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was called MVP. So it was all sports related businesses and it was through the Verizon channel. So with Gronk, you're thinking like, do you want, you want to talk about the Patriots or do you want to talk about this like frat boy persona? And that dude is so easygoing and he's you know, a lot more intelligent and business-like than he gets credit for. I mean, mm-hmm. he, supposedly he saved his entire NFL salary for all of his career and he gets to do some of the things that he really wants to do in life. And, you know, like he also supports his, he's got a couple of brothers, their businesses, their little league stuff, their charity. Like this guy's, He's keeping pretty busy for a guy who that you think is probably just in the gym for three hours a day. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you just, again, let them talk about, just ask a question or two and you'd be surprised by, by what they spend their day doing. You know, I think high, high functioning people, whether it's, you know, somebody who's a, I don't know, a painter or someone who's a, a pole vaulter, you know, they're not really much different from the, you know, the Richard Branson's of the world and the Meg Whitman's and people who have built up businesses from nothing. It's, you know, maybe they're sports people before they are business people, but Mm -hmm. same trajectory, you know, very driven, very organized. I think it all starts with a vision. Uh, Greg Norman is probably a great example. I think Greg Norman loves being the head of a super successful business as much as he loved being the top golfer for Mm -hmm. 300 plus weeks uh, in his career. Like, I think they're basically, they weigh equally for him. You can talk to him about that, but. That's awesome. Yeah. Just again, ask people questions and they'll tell you, you know, a a treasure trove of interesting things. Mm -hmm. And I think, again, you know, what, what you've been able to accomplish. And again, I think the coolest part is kind of where you came from, lack of a better term, you know, from the from the business world the and streets. yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, you know, you didn't go to journal, you know, you, I don't, I didn't see Syracuse or Northwestern anywhere on your, uh, on your LinkedIn nope. page, which means you didn't come from a, you know, one of those two journalism schools you feel like everybody pretty much comes from. So, you know, kudos to you there, man. And I just think it's such a, you got such a cool story. I mean, you're covering sports and sports business for Forbes. Again, you know, if this was something someone told you, 11 years ago when you started that blog, you'd probably say that I don't even understand what that means, but you know, here we are now, man. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, I would say that anybody who wants to, I, I, you know, I wrote a little thing on LinkedIn when I was bored about two months ago. Uh, it was titled how I went from sports, how I went from cubicle, cubicle dweller to sports writer. 
And I think it was just lingering in my head, like, well, I've got to do a lot of cool things, but you know, I'm not bragging about the fact that I didn't go to journalism school, but the point is that whatever you want to do, that is your passion, whether, you know, you want to write a novel or start a surf shop or, you know, who knows what it is, you know, just because you have a nine to five job and responsibilities doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it. I think uh, you got to find, find out what that is. I mean, I kind of luckily knew that I always liked writing, even when I didn't do it coherently or consistently, I always kind of kept coming back to it. Like in the nineties, I had a, a, like a, a zine and then my roommate and I would go to, we'd get, we'd get to go to free shows and we'd get CDs sent to us and review them. And we didn't really do it consistently. And then, in, you know, 99, 2000, I put up a website and did the same thing and got bored with that. So Eventually, I kind of found, uh, you know, sports and writing just kind of, they go together, I think. Uh, maybe it's just being a, a sports fan and wanting to tell your version of the story because, you know, you read the sports pages and, and you don't really get that. And I think mm -hmm. that there's a value to uh, just kind of loving what it's about and you know, sharing it. So I love it, man. And so I guess what... um. Who, who else is on that list? Who's on that bucket list of people you want to get to interview? Well, uh, so I, I, yeah, I've interviewed Venus Williams, not Serena. Okay. Sorry. Uh, I was talking to some, I was talking to somebody about uh, Serena, um, but it didn't, it didn't pan out this month. So she'd definitely won. Uh, I've always kind of wanted to say like David Beckham is the one that I, I I've tried a couple times and not gotten to, mm -hmm. but, uh, yeah, I don't, there's, there's, I've been kind of lucky. I mean, there's, I'm definitely open to anybody. I mean, there's legends like Michael Jordan and Larry Bird that I would love to interview, but I've gotten to interview, I mean, I grew up in Philly, I got to interview Dr. J two years ago, mm -hmm. Earl Monroe and Ralph Not Sampson. Bad. And, you know, that's a kind of a, that's in the same ballpark there. So I can't really complain um, at all about what I have not gotten to do, but it, you know, it's just, it's a matter of keeping it going. Mm -hmm. I, you know, there's times like now, where sports is not going on. So what I'm doing right now is writing about what athletes are doing while they're stuck at home like us. And mm -hmm. I'm probably not going to get as many clicks in the articles, but you know, it was kind of cool to hear. Uh, I talked to Megan Rapinoe's partner, uh, Sue Bird, Sue a couple Bird, weeks yeah. ago. And they're, you know, they're doing sprints in the streets and working out with their weights in their little condo and watching Tiger King. Like That's everybody cool. else. On That's kind of cool. Right? Yeah. I've not watched Tiger King. I've kind of resisted, what? but eventually oh, man, I'm going to succumb to it. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm, get, I'm guessing that if you could just, you know, if you uh, get an interview with Shaq right now, you know, he'll probably tell you he's watching Tiger King. That's just a hunch, you know. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, I mean. It's awesome, man. I, I, think list, again, I don't know. I think it's awesome. Um, I think we all have our list and maybe you're just being a little secretive with yours. And I respect that. I, I'm sure there's a couple people that you have written down somewhere that kind of your white whales. And I'm sure you'll get there eventually again. Shouting out ESPN, Rolling Stone, and Forbes never hurt. Like, hey, I work for Forbes, looking to interview some athletes. I, I think that that part doesn't hurt. But, man, this was absolutely fantastic. Uh, any any words of wisdom, any nuggets you want to leave us with before we get going? Yeah, if you want to write about sports, you know, blog or do you – you know, I don't, I don't know how to hook up a, a microphone, much less do a podcast like you're doing. So I think whatever you can do that you're passionate, that, that comes easy to you to do, and then just put it out there and, you know – you'll get, uh, you'll get great opportunities. And that's really what it's about. So it's kind of like fishing, like you never know what's going to pop up. And so that's keep what, at it. Keep that's your what I'm hoping line for, in the water. I'm hoping I keep interviewing people. I try and do two, three, four, five a day, especially during coronavirus. You know, as you said, you know, put it out there. I'm, if I could be Joe Rogan, I mean, one one hundredth of Joe Rogan, oh, I would be great. the happiest, happiest person on planet Earth. Just get to sit down and talk to people for three hours a day. Um, that would be my dream scenario. And, you know, I'm trying to do that now and we'll see how it goes. So maybe with your help, I'll figure some of that out. But uh, I had Andy Fry on today. He's incredible writer of sport writer and sports contributor for Forbes, uh, former contributor for Rolling Stone, Market Watch, Chicago Tribune and ESPN.com. Andy, appreciate your time today, man. Thanks, Michael. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode with Andy Fry. As I said, just really laid back, dude. Really, really cool. Very grateful I got to have him on. He's just uh, definitely something, uh, some, someone I want to turn into it in some capacity, uh, getting to interview all these incredible musicians and, and sports people. I just think it's absolutely fantastic. So make sure to follow him on all of his show socials. Everything will be in the show notes. Please also make sure to give us a five-star review wherever you're listening. We would be very, very grateful for that. So thank you so much for your time. It's the only thing we don't get more of, and I appreciate that. And I hope you make it a wonderful day.